All right. Well, we'll go ahead and continue in our study this morning. I'm on our series uh, title slide. Um, so it's a series in uh, theology. And the first section on our next slide is kind of the, you might say if we were in school, it'd be a, a unit title. Um, but we're in the doctrine of God, and we're looking specifically today at the character of God. Um, I don't know if I've said it this way or not, but I'm hoping the theology has a real practical side to it, especially when I think of uh, things like today's lesson, which I think will be true of a number of the lessons when we um, get to know God himself. I think it can really help us personally with our relationship with him when we understand him uh, well. And uh, there may be things in here that uh, you already knew, um, but I hope that they're an encouragement, just uh, being reminded of them or, or even just um, you know, thinking on them, meditating on uh, some of these this morning. Um, what we think often influences what we do and how we behave, um, how we view life. Um, oftentimes wrong thinking can lead to wrong conclusions, wrong decisions. Um, so um, th that's why I'm thinking, hoping that as we do this, it's an encouragement uh, to us because our view of God is, is major, which is you know the character of God is what our lesson's about. And to the extent we view God correctly, then we, when we see how he's working in our own lives, we are more likely, uh, no guarantee here because we're still humans with flawed thinking skills, with limited intelligence, limited understanding, uh, limited ability to observe. Um, so we still have all our limitations. It doesn't guarantee everything's great in the way we respond to God, but at least um, I think understanding who he is, um, and how he operates um, would give us the ability to potentially um, respond to him well. And, and so I think a lot of times um, our struggles in our Christian walk um, stem from wrong thinking. Uh, and no, no exceptions to that rule. When I said that, I'm thinking of myself. No exceptions to that rule. <laughs> wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. Uh, yeah, I don't have any thought in my mind that I've arrived, and I stand up here and tell you how you should be thinking. <laughs> I'm not, it's, it's still helpful. Uh, I think it's helpful to all of us. Um, so um, we're going to um, continue in our study in the character of God. Um, now, uh, we're going to, uh, online people, we're going to skip over the first slide because I realized after I sent it to the multimedia guys that I accidentally left a slide in the presentation for last week that I didn't intend to. Um, so we're going to skip over uh, straight to a slide called The Character of God. And we uh, looked at this last week, uh, began this slide. And so we saw last week that his character is revealed uh, through his names. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But the actual names of God that he identifies as his names are part of that. But also he just used a lot of um, metaphors and similes uh, where he says, I'm like this or I'm that. And uh, those different things can reveal uh, some aspects of who he is. Uh, they were so exhaustive, so uh, extensive that we just gave a few examples last week of that. Uh, but that can be helpful, though, as we're reading our Bible, maybe personal Bible study, uh, that we kind of have that in our minds. And so sometimes when we see God being compared to something, we 
realize there's a reason for that comparison. We can learn something about who God is when we see what he decides to uh, compare himself to. And then think about whatever that is. What about that comparison is he trying to communicate? And so um, then uh, we looked at a second point last week. A God is self-existent. Um, you know, one of God's names refers to this. He's just the self-existent one. Um, the great I am is one way that he uh, communicates that. But he doesn't uh, need us. That's not why he created things, because he well, it wasn't because he was lonely or had needs that could only be met through creating the world. Um, doesn't mean that God doesn't enjoy fellowship with man. He does. Uh, but he didn't, ha- didn't have to be that way. Um, so um, part of that, we looked at a verse where uh, Jesus identified that there was fellowship and love within the Trinity from the foundation of the world. And so, um, all right. Uh, then we go on our slide to the next one, and this is uh, new material now. And so what we'll do today is um, I kind of envision, I always do this. I don't know if I have an ego problem. I always envision covering more than I cover. Is it is it that I just can't come to terms with my own limitations and think I have a cape on or something. And, I, um, and then I come to some point of reality where it's, okay, I'm not going to get all that done. Um, and so I had hoped to go farther in my points, but the more I was studying, the more I realized, well, it's going to take me a little while just to talk about that one and that one and that one. And so um, I think today we'll get up um, to holiness. And I don't, I'm not going to get into the holiness, but I had... An, an example that I'll share more about later that related to that particular attribute. I think I'll sh- still share the example and I'll tell you what that's about when I get to that. And that'll be our cutoff point uh, for today. Uh, so we won't finish off uh, the attributes of God because um, there are just uh, so many and there's a lot of good things that I think are helpful to us in looking at his attributes when we're learning about God himself. Um, this one here, um, immutable is one way you could say uh, this, or unchangeable. Uh, it's like a mutation, a change. The prefix I-M means not. So he's not, he's not changeable. Um, God does not mutate uh, his, uh, who he is, his character, his form. Now, we're getting this uh, from the scripture, of course, and a lot of what's revealed about God is revealed in scripture. Um, there are things revealed about God outside of scripture. We looked at that um, already, where mankind's without excuse because nature itself reveals certain things about him. Romans specifically says even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So people have enough to know that there's a God there who made all this but that doesn't tell you a lot of the specifics about who he is and so a lot of the specifics are revealed in the word of God and this is one of them. So here's a, a few verses that we'll take a look at. Psalm 102, Malachi 3, and Hebrews 13 are some verses, amongst others, that share this aspect. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 25, of old, meaning in the past, way in the past, hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but... Thou shalt endure, yea, all of them shall wax or grow old like a garment. I did some clothing and shopping yesterday, and it's partly because my, my garments doth wax old. Okay. 
Um, and I have some khaki pants that I wear to school often. They're just, well, I have, <laughs> I have, I have a couple sets of them, so it's kind of nice to have more than one set. So if one's dirty, I still can wear some. So I, I tend to wear, um, you know, those kind of pants, a docker style. So khaki colored, black colored, navy colored. Okay. I don't know if I should confess this or not. It's probably happened to you too. You know a pair of pants needs to go in the trash when you discover a hole in the crotch. It's like, wait, it's starting to wear, it's wearing a little thin there. In the trash you go, you shall never be worn again. Now, my other, I had another pair that wasn't that bad. But I still looked at them, and they were kind of wearing, and thought, okay. Um, it's been a while. My garments are getting old and wearing out. It says, as a vesture or as clothing, shalt thou change them. So I bought some new stuff yesterday. And they shall be changed. But you, or thou, art the same. And thy years shall have no end. So that's Psalm 102. God does not change. God does not wear out. Um, Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Past, present, future, yesterday, today, forever. The same in all those times. And so this is the, the Bible teaching about uh, God. Um, now, um, th- this is hugely important for our thinking. I'm going to come back to that thought, but this is a, this is a big deal. Um, and we'll come back to that thought. So I just wanted to plant that in your mind. So this is huge. If, if we don't understand this, it has implications that, uh, even if we never thought about what the implications are, if we got to a point where we were wrestling with a particular topic, if we don't have our thinking right on the unchangeableness of God, it could cause problems for us. All right, we'll come back to that. Uh, but let's uh, explore a thought. Well, does God ever change his mind? Haven't I read in the scriptures a person might think uh, about God changing his mind? And so when we uh, talk about God's unchanging, okay, um, I'm reading here from one commentator. In his purposes, we may wonder about places in Scripture where God said he would judge his people, and then because of prayer or the people's repentance, or both, God relented and repented and did not bring judgment as he said he would. Examples of such withdrawing, so perhaps you'll recognize some of these examples here. Uh, Withdrawing from threatened judgment include the successful intervention of Moses in prayer to prevent the destruction of the people of Israel. God at one point said, Moses, I've had it with these people. Um, They're stiff-necked, they're stubborn, they're rebellious. You know what? I'm going to wipe them out and let's start over with you. Uh, I'm going to create a nation out of your offspring. And Moses, by prayer, asked God not to do that. And God you might say it feels like okay, he changed his mind. He decided not to afterwards because of that. Or how about this one? The adding of another 15 years to the life of Hezekiah. God revealed to him that he was going to die. And he, and he prayed and pleaded with God that he could live longer. And God, in a sense, changed his mind or allowed for that and um, gave him 15 more years to live. Or, here's another one, the failure to bring promised judgment upon Nineveh. Okay, 40, Jonah's message, 40 days, 
In 40 days, Nineveh shall be, Nineveh shall be destroyed. And so, and in those statements, it doesn't say unless, just, okay, 40 days is going to happen. And, but then in the end, it didn't happen. Okay, so this same commentator then continues here. Are these not cases where God's purposes, in fact, did change? All right, before he answers that question, then he goes on. Then there are other passages where God is said to be sorry that he had carried out some previous action. One thinks of God being sorry that he had made man upon the earth, Genesis 6, 6. Okay, he's like, I repent of that. The idea of repentance is like to turn away, changing of the mind is the idea. I change my mind, I, I repent, I wish I hadn't. Okay, um, so the Bible wording is along uh, those lines. I actually don't have the. Would someone mind reading Genesis six six? I don't have the printout of that particular verse. This would be like a sword drill in Sunday school or junior church with kids. Genesis six six. Hold your swords in the air. Genesis six six. Ready, charge. I don't know if churches, church Sunday schools still do that. I had fun with that. I liked that when I was a kid. Trying to race everyone to see who could find the verse first. Uh, Jeff, does it look? Did you have it there? Would you mind reading that? So wait a minute, did, did, he, did he change? Like did, did he all of a sudden learn something he didn't know was going to happen and caught him off guard? Now he wished he hadn't done what he did before. Uh, verses like these can cause people some angst or, or at least questioning on this. Okay. Um, or God being sorry that he made King Saul for Samuel 15.10. So a similar thought there where he, you know, it's like a... I, repented him or he changed his mind he wished he hadn't done that did not God's purposes change in these cases okay now he goes on and, and uh, addresses the thoughts on these okay, these instances should so here's the answer these instances should be understood as true expressions of God's present attitude or intention with respect to the situation as it exists at that moment for example Jonah proclaims, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown in Jonah 3.4. There is no mention of the possibility of God withholding judgment if the people repent, but it is implied. The situations with Hezekiah and Moses are similar. God said that he would send judgment, and that was a true declaration. Okay, provided that the situation remained the same. In the cases of God being sorry that he had made man or that he had made Saul king, these two can be understood as expressions of God's present displeasure towards the sinfulness of man. In either case, is the language strong enough to require us to think that if God could start again and act differently, he would, in fact, not create man or not make Saul king. I'm going to repeat that one. In neither case, is the language, and I'll par do some paraphrasing, originally I said, is the language strong enough to require us, or in other words, there's no reason to think by reading those verses that that is what has to be understood, that, uh, that God... Um, and I'll continue to read here, that if God could start again and act differently, he would. As if God realized he wished he hadn't have done that. That's not what the language in those verses is suggesting. But he goes on to say, uh, it can instead imply that God's previous action led to events that in the short term caused him sorrow. But God wasn't sorry that he created man, but he 
was sorrowful over man's sin, even though he knew ahead of time that that's what would happen. The Bible teaches us that from the foundations of the world, he planned out the salvation plan through Christ on the cross for the problem that he knew would come from his choice to create. And so, um, but that doesn't mean, though, that when the sin came, there wasn't sorrow on his part. And it doesn't mean at that moment he wanted to see it change, um, even though it's not suggesting that if he could go back, he would have changed the decision. And again, the language doesn't require us to understand it that way, but a quick reading of that um, without um, really thinking that through in light of what we know about God in other scripture passages might cause a person to wonder. And so... Um, I'll uh, pick up, uh, this will overlap, and pick up at the start of this one sentence. It can instead imply that God's previous actions led to events that, in the short term, caused him sorrow, but that nonetheless, in the long term, would ultimately achieve his good purposes. And so God is not suggesting that he was sorry that he made Saul king, like he regrets his decision, but he was sorrowful in what was going on with Saul, and was going to change that. So there was a repenting, there was a changing. I'm going to remove him from kingship, and I'm going to put a man in his place that's a man after God's own heart, uh, which is how he words it regarding uh, King David. And so uh, the commentator goes on to say, this is somewhat analogous to a human father who knows his child, or sorry, not knows, who allows his child to embark on a course he knows will bring much sorrow both to the parent and to the child, but who allows it nonetheless because he knows that greater long-term good will come from it. And so sometimes, you know, those of us who have been parents we sometimes know that maybe I allow my child to stumble, like, you know, let's take something that's not even, um, you know, not a major course of life. How about riding a bicycle? And, you know, potentially they're going to get hurt in, in allowing them to do this. And uh, you know, they're trying to learn, they don't have the coordination, they fall, they skin a knee, um, but helping them develop and grow, physically grow in their coordination skills, there's going to be bumps and bruises. When they do fall and skin a knee, you feel bad, and you allowed it to happen, and you knew it might happen. Of course, God knows these things are going to happen, but we don't necessarily know that. But And yet, would we do a different choice? Uh, we still want them to we still want to get where we desire to, to go in their development. God had a plan for mankind from the foundation of the world uh, that culminated in Christ on the cross and is the way that we're going to be able to be redeemed back to God and eventually, um, in eternity, fellowship with uh, God for eternity. And that was his plan from the beginning. So he's never regretted the plan, but at moments he says, okay, now I'm going to repent. I'm going to change the mind, which is what the word... It's not, sometimes maybe the, the language uh, can be confusing. Because again, that, that's the underlying thought behind repentance is changing mind. Um, but in our minds, sometimes repentance means I wished I hadn't done it. Um, or I realized what I did was wrong. Um, it doesn't have to carry that meaning. It could say... I made that choice, but now I'm doing something different. Not because that choice was wrong, but I, I now I need to go a different direction. And I'm sorrowful, and this is thinking back to God, I'm sorrowful for what's going on right now on that. Okay. And so 
Um, then, um, okay, so a little side one, I don't think I have this up. Oh yeah, I do have it on there. The infinite and personal. Okay, so unlike some unbiblical theological viewpoints, the Bible teaches that God is both infinite and personal. He is infinite and that he is not subject to any of his limitations or of humanity or of creation in general. He is far greater than everything he has made, far greater than anything that exists. Okay, but he is also personal. He interacts with us as a person and we can uh, relate to him as persons. We can pray to him, worship him, obey him, and love him. And he can speak to us, rejoice in us, and love us. Okay, um, this one commentator uh, mentions here. Okay. Well, uh, some of the unbiblical theological viewpoints, uh, for example, um, one where um, God is infinite, um, where it says here that he's, you know, is, is he subject to any of his limitations of humanity? For example, ancient Greek gods, they often had the sinful characteristics of man, or they were limited in their knowledge um, of what was going to go on. So some religions have been that way, where they had a god that made mistakes or uh, was limited in some way. Uh, there's been, uh, for example, those that think, okay, God's not that personal. Maybe we're not saying he's uh, not infinite, but he's not very personal. The God of the Deist, which was a very common um, thought during the time of our founding of our nation, uh, kind of uh, was influenced, I think, by the Enlightenment, where there was this renewed interest in science and reason. And so sometimes they thought, well, we can just approach life through science and reason. And God himself created things. He stepped back. Now he just watches. doesn't get involved in day-to-day -day life, so uh, there's not a lot of reason to pray to him. Um, because he's not that kind of a personal God. I, I, I don't really interact with him day by day. And uh, these are uh, fallacies uh, here that, that relate uh, to this topic uh, of God. Is God changeable or not? Um, and so uh, the answer is no. Uh, so he's, he's not changeable, and he is infinite and personal. Uh, oops, I... I'm getting a little ahead of myself putting up that next point for us here in the room. Okay, so we'll wait for that last point in a moment. All right, but here's that thought. Why does this matter? Okay. If God could change, that suggests that maybe he could change for the better. Okay. He was not the best he could be before. Now, someone might get around that by saying, well, he was the best he could be at that time for that situation, but now he's the best in this situation. Uh, one might be able to make that case um, in their own mind. I don't think that's true. Um, but how could we be sure that he is the best now if he, if he could change? Uh, really, it comes down to it. If God was not changeable, there would be a trust issue that would become a major problem for us. What if God changes? Well, we read about his plan of salvation in the Bible, but what if his thoughts have changed towards that? What if we're placing our trust in Christ for salvation as revealed in the scripture, but God has changed his thoughts regarding that? And we could take that with anything. I mean, any, we read something in the Bible about who God is, but what if he's changed? Or we read something in the Bible about what we should do, but what if he's changed his mind? 
how would we have any certainty? How, how could we be certain that we could trust what he says? Um, how do we know he won't change that? Uh, it would be very difficult. Um, our faith, our hope, our knowledge, all ultimately depend on this, uh, this infinitely, um, this person who is infinitely worthy of trust. Uh, can we trust him? And so um, it has huge implications that way. Um, but because God has revealed to us he does not change, then we can have confidence. <clears throat> I think our um, comfort level with our eternal security, I believe, um, rests in God himself. That We can't really be confident in our salvation. And like if we face death, which all of us are going to do at some point, unless Christ comes back first. But if we get to that moment of facing death, how will we have confidence of what's going to happen if we don't have confidence in God himself? Because everything about salvation depends upon whether he's told us the truth, whether he you know, has changed his mind or not. If we're not certain about God himself, we're also not certain about anything that he's said in regards to our salvation or, or security. But it's not even just in salvation. It's just other events of life when something bad happens to us. How can we be certain if we don't trust him? How do we know he has our back, so to speak, or that he has our uh, best interest in mind? Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because a lot of the characteristics of God play into that. They, they play into what kind of God are we trusting and we're only on the tip of the iceberg here, but his immutability, his unchangeableness is central to this because we, if we read all the other characteristics, but those could change, then we don't, again, we're back to no confidence here. That, and, and maybe we aren't even thinking bad about God. Maybe we just lack confidence. We ourselves understand who he is if when we read something about him, we're not sure if it's changed. And so it's, it's huge for our thinking in this. Um, a last verse uh, for this section uh, here. Um, actually, no, it's not a last verse. That's a verse on our next point. So I'll bring this up. Uh, so God is eternal. Now, this doctrine relates to God's unchangeableness uh, because if he were not eternal, there, he would have had some change. <laughs> Time does not change with God. Now, we, we get into some of these and we realize that some of these things are hard to understand from a human standpoint. We can't get outside of time and we have no experience with what that would mean to be outside of time. We, time goes by. We're all growing older. Um, every now and then, um, and clocks are helpful on this one. I'll, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll, I don't like watching commercials uh, very often, so uh, but we have a DVR so that we can pause it. Okay, if I'm on live TV, you know what? I'm not going to watch that. Just pause because I'm, I'm live. Wait for the commercial to pass by. But then I get busy doing something. Next thing I look up, oh, man, I've been paused for 15 minutes. It's like, wow, that flew by. Um, and then sometimes I'll have a thought. You know, that 15 minutes of my life just went by. It's like it's ticking by and it's going. And, and we all know that it's limited. And... <laughs> Maybe. Are you thinking of some of those little things about what it would be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and even within physics, we've got some interesting uh, things that I don't even understand 
um, about how time relates to things, space-time continuum, wormholes, you know, uh, things that I'm like, okay, yeah, it makes for great science fiction. I don't know, you know, I don't understand enough to know if it if it should be uh, thought of anything other than science fiction or is it actually in reality. Um, yeah, there's just things with this that are so hard to understand, even even from a, a science standpoint, physics and, you know, we can't even understand that fully yet. Hard to understand. A God who's outside of that, he's not contained by that. God, God doesn't age. He's outside of time. Um, and so he is eternal. And sometimes this is called the doctrine um, of God's infinity. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And so it's like he's contained. He's been here from the end, from the beginning to the end. And it's like, I don't even know if this is accurate to say it this way. It's almost like times, time is something God creates within his control. Um, and not the other way around. So thus, uh, God somehow stands above time and is able to see it all as present in his consciousness. I, I can't, I don't know what that means either. Because you can start thinking about this for a little bit. If it's all like present in his consciousness, does that mean he's seeing all human events at once? Is, for example, is Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt right now? <laughs> I don't really think so. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time trying to contemplate it because I feel like it, my, my life's already short and I'm not going to be able to get to the answer. So I spend part of my life trying to think of something that I'm not going to be able to understand anyways. Um, I'm, I feel like maybe that doesn't make sense, but I mean, some, somehow though he sees it all. I don't know if it's all happening at once. That means it all have to be eternally happening together constantly. That doesn't seem likely, but again, I'll just uh, accept my own limitation on figuring that one out and understand that God is not limited by time. So therefore, God can see. It's how he can predict the future. Tell us exactly, not just predict it, tell us the future. Um, and so an aspect of that is that he can see them all equally clearly. Um, he doesn't have memory problems. Uh, where he's like, ah, I'm trying to remember. What, yeah, how did that go? Yeah, that's us, not him. Okay. All right, uh, then we'll go to our next slide here. And our first point on that. Come on, you can do it. There we go. Uh, the omnipresence of God. Psalm 139, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Okay. Or whither or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell or in the grave, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And so King David here just recognizing you can't get away from God. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? 
So you can't get away from his presence. Now, one caution is that, and some people uh, do this in, in certain uh, either theological or certain religions, that God is equivalent to creation in some part. Like God's everywhere, like he's, he is creation. And that's not uh, the thought. God, God's creation is what he created. He is not part of that. Uh, and yet he, you can't get away from his presence. So another thought uh, that uh, can come up uh, is, well, if God's everywhere, here, I'll, how about if I word it this way by asking a question, is God in hell? Now we hit, it doesn't seem right to say that, right? Because, you know, God doesn't go to hell. I mean, hell's where bad people go. Maybe we think of that way. I don't know if that's uh, even like wording it that way, but sometimes that's our way of thinking of that. Bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. Uh, that's what mankind sometimes thinks, which, which is not true, because everyone is deserving of hell. Um, so do, is God in hell? He's everywhere. Uh, one, uh, this one commentator, which, by the way, this is the book I've been using. I think I, I described it before, but... Just a systematic theology book by Wayne Grudem. And so this is the, the book that I've been uh, quoting on a lot of these things, that someone's done a lot of work, and then that helps me because I don't have time to do the work he did. Uh, but I can take advantage of the work he's done and make it uh, flow along smoother to put together Sunday school lessons. Oh, do the people online want to see that too? There you go. <laughs> systematic theology by Wayne Grudem. I don't want to leave them out. All right, so, anyways, uh, he mentions this, that God is present in different ways in different places. God acts differently in different places. For example, uh, to punish or to bless or neither. Sometimes to sustain. And so, like, is God in hell? Well, he created hell. He sustains it. He sustains the whole creation in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's within his sustaining ability. I mean... God's not completely, it's not like a spot where he's ignorant of what's going on there. Um, it's like when someone gets cast to hell, he, he doesn't he doesn't say, oh, well, I wonder what's going on down there. I don't really know what's going on. There. Now, it's not his dwelling place in a sense, but, and that reminds me of another example, like how about the Shekinah glory of God that came upon the tabernacle at times with Israel? It's like his presence came, but then his presence left. Wait, was his presence there before his presence came? The Shekinah glory rested on the temple? Was he already there or not? And so, again, he says God is present in different ways in different places. God was never unaware of what was going on inside the tabernacle until his Shekinah glory came down, and then he saw. Um, so he was always there. He's always sustaining. Uh, he's everywhere present. But the way in which he's present in different spots or how he's interacting uh, that can change, as we've seen in, in Scripture in, in different spots. And yet, God, there's nowhere you can flee from him. So when that Shekinah glory left, and uh, the Israelites bemoaned that for a, there was quite a while when they just didn't see that happen anymore, that doesn't mean, oh, good, I can sneak in the temple. God's not going to know what I'm doing in there now. Um, we're into the tabernacle. Uh, no, he, he would know exactly what's going on. He was aware. You can't get away from him. So that's the uh, biblical teaching um, on his omnipresence. Now these kind of start tying back uh, together uh, to things um, such as, um, well, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself on this because I was almost ready to tie it to a few that we haven't got to yet. So I'll save that thought. 
Okay. Uh, how about our next uh, thought here? Uh, spiritual and invisible. Um, well, the uh, Bible teaches that God is a spirit. So he's not made of matter. He's not made of energy. You know, what's God made of? Or what's he like? Well, he's not part of his own creation. God created matter. God created energy. He's not made of matter. He's not made of energy. Um, how big is God? He doesn't have size. He doesn't have dimension. Okay. I, I don't understand that. Uh, I don't know what that's like. God is spirit. Uh, John 4.24 tells us, they that mer- uh, worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means. But it, it helps me, in, at least with one thought I think of occasionally, um, I can't see God right now. Yeah, but my, my body is limited to detecting things that I can't even detect all matter and energy. Um, so I, even things I know as from a physical standpoint exist, I can't even detect all those. It's not that hard to imagine that I also can't detect a spirit. Um, and it doesn't make it less real any more than I can't detect radio waves and television signals in the room right now, or infrared energy that might you know, be in here. Although if I get close enough to you, I might feel some radiating off your body, uh, infrared uh, being heat energy. Um, or UV, I don't see it outside, yet I might get sunburned by it. Um, so um, God is not made of any of these things, and so God is, is just a spirit. Um, God's invisibility means that God's total essence, essence, all of his spiritual being, will never be able to be seen by us, yet God still shows himself to us through visible created things. Now when I read that, I think, oh wait, I can think of one exception. Was it, was it Isaiah they put in the cleft of the rock? Was it, help me out there, covered him? And, or no, that was Moses. Moses put in, and he wanted, desired to see God. It's like, you can't see me full on, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you with my hand, I'll walk by, and then I'll remove it at the last, and you can see my backside, uh, but not full on me. I don't know what in the world that means. I mean, I get the general concept of it, but what did he see and what was that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know what will, what will we see when we get to heaven. I, I'm not even sure if then we'll have a... Um, we, I, don't, I suspect we're not even then going to get a full glimpse of God. Um, I almost feel like uh, getting a full glimpse of God um, is is far beyond anyone but him. Uh, it's too infinite. Um, but um, he does reveal things at times, so we can learn things about him and, and see him working in nature or doing things. And even at times, uh, as in the case of that, did anyone remember who that was that got hit in the cleft of the rock? I didn't look up that example. It was Moses? Thank you. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah. What's that? Well, he did glow. Yeah. When he was given the Ten Commandments and stuff, he glowed. I was thinking they might be separate times, I believe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Moses got some sort of a glimpse uh, beyond just through visible created things there. And uh, I don't think we're going to have that happen for us. Uh, but 
for the most part then, God's invisibility means God's total essence. We're not going to be able to see that. Okay? All right, let's move on. His omniscience and wisdom. Job 37, 16. The wondrous works of him, which is perfect in knowledge, speaking of God. Or 1 John three twenty. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. So these two verses talk about he's perfect in knowledge. He knows all things. Psalm 139, 1. Actually, I'll read 1, 2, and 4. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest mine down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my heart afar off. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. And so God has all knowledge. Now I'll get ahead of myself a little bit, now that I've mentioned on omniscience. We haven't gotten to omnipotence yet. Um, but for me, the, those three things, um, omnipotence or potent, whew, that's a potent breath you got there. Okay, well, I could say, also say that's a powerful breath. Same thing. Potency, omni, omni meaning all, all power. Omniscience, omni science, all knowledge, science referring to what we know. Okay, omnipresence, all everywhere present. And God's immutable. So a God who doesn't change has these characteristics. What if God was lacking in one of those areas? Say, for example, God makes a promise to Christians, but he was lacking in his knowledge and did not realize that the promise he would make, there was going to be a problem with that down the road. Much like a parent who says, you know, I promise we're going to go to Disneyland for vacation this summer, but then he ends up with back surgery and is unable to keep that promise um, because he lacked the knowledge to know what was going to happen. Well, if God was that way, then there'd be a real problem with potentially keeping his promises. But let's say he had all knowledge and that wasn't the issue. Okay, Let's say he wasn't, though, everywhere present, omnipresence. Well, that actually would kind of play back to whether he does have all knowledge, because if there's a place you can't be, then you don't know what's going on there. So then you really don't know. Like, what if you had known what was over there, you would have decided that differently, but you were ignorant of that so therefore you really didn't have all knowledge okay well let's say if you have all knowledge and you're everywhere present thus you know what's going on everywhere you lack omnipotence so it's like god would be like well i would have done it if i if i had the power but i just lacked the ability to carry out my word i have every intention i i knew what was going to happen but when i got to the moment i just couldn't get it done um and so Thankfully, we have a God where these things are not true. And they go back to that trust issue. Can we read the Bible and can we trust what it says and can we, can we bank on it? And this plays a lot into a lot of the characteristics that we're going to uh, get into now, um, such as, oops, let me get ahead of myself. I forgot to put wisdom here side by side with that one. Okay. Of course, uh, wisdom is, when we think of 